Good morning. It's Monday morning, 10 a.m. We're learning a sicha on, on Parsha's Devarim. We're beginning Chumash Devarim, Chedek Chop Dalet. We're learning as we do in the Schos of Rafua Shalema Ukreva for Harav Yosef Yisak Ben Sima Chasia. Aleph. Ala Pasuk Be'ever Hayardim Be'eretz Mayav Hayel Moshe Be'eretz Hater Hazais Lemar. On the Pasuk in yesterday's Chitas, um, where the Torah tells us that when um, they crossed the Jordan and went into the land of Mayav, Moshe began to explain the Torah. Amurazal, our sages taught, Bishivim Lashon Pirshalahem that Moshe Rabbeinu explained the Torah to the Jews in 70 different languages. And in like fashion, Chazal teach, that Moshe commanded the Jews before they crossed over the Yardin, in Parshas Kisavoy, that when they cross over, they should write on these huge stones, on these boulder, on these boulders, um, the entire Torah, and it should be explained well. And the, again, the sages comment: The explanation of of that the Torah should be explained well means that it should be written in seventy languages. And in Mesecha Seferim, which is a part of the Gemara that's not in the conventional part of the Gemara, but didn't make it in, but is like kind of an addition, uh, we learn, We learn about an event um, that five Jewish sages were commissioned by King Talmai to translate the Torah into Greek. And that day was as difficult, as distressing uh, for the Jews as the day that the golden calf was constructed. Why? Because the Torah cannot be properly and completely translated. And therefore, it was as terrible as the day that the Egel was constructed. Um, now, there's a lot of footnotes on the Sicha, and you could see that if any iteration that you have, and we're, we don't have the time to go into most of them, any of them for, for to begin with, and then we'll see what, what kind of time we have. Um, but I do want to note that in the footnotes, Reb explains that um, in different places in the Gemara, we have mention of 70 sages um, translating the Torah, and in one place it says 72 um, and it seems that in the aggregate, the Mepharshim explained that there were two events. One was where there were five sages, and one was when there were 70. And the Rebbe is going to circle back to the event, which is more well-known with the 70 sages later in the Sicha. Okay, but right now, the Rebbe began by telling us that in this week's Parsha, at the very, very beginning, we learned that Maish Rabbeinu explained the Torah well. And Rashi brings down the words of Chazal that he explains in his 70 languages. Now, regarding translating the Torah into different languages, the Rebbe says that we learn 
that there was an event where King Talmai asked five sages to undertake this project, and it was considered so fraught with danger, it was so distressful for the Jews, like the day that the Egel Hazav was constructed. The Enamuvan, the Rebbe says, this is not understood why Chazal should draw this correlation between these two events. From this that we learn that Maisha explained the Torah into 70 languages. And even more from the fact that he explained it is the fact that he commanded them to then go ahead when they come into Eretz Yisrael and write the Torah on these huge boulders in 70 languages. It's proven this would indicate that there is something good to be gained. There is something efficacious that could come from translating the term to 70 languages and making it available to all the nations of the world to study. And if this is so, so then why would we learn that the translation into Greek was uh, was a difficult thing, was a distressful thing, maybe even extremely distressing. And even more, the Rebbe says, we have to wonder, the reason that the Gemara gives us for why this was so distressful is also cause for pause. And we have to wonder, because we're taught, that the reason this was so distressful is because the Torah cannot be adequately um, translated into a different language. But this is difficult to understand. Why would the Gemara say this when we're learning now in the Chumash that the Torah was already translated into 70 languages? So why would the Gemara say that it's an impossibility and that therefore this is something so very distressful. And it's difficult to make the case that what the Masechta Seferim is, is referencing is specifically the translation into Greek. And to say that it's specifically about the translation into Greek and not the translation into other languages. And the Rebbe says, there are a number of reasons why it would be difficult to set forth this particular thesis, that what the Gemara is referencing is the inability, the impossibility to translate it properly in Greek. So the Rebbe brings down at least four reasons why this cannot possibly be what the Gemara would mean. Aleph. First of all, the Rebbe doubles back on the question he has already asked, which is, translations of the Torah have already been in the public domain since ancient times, since Moshe Rabbeinu explained in the 70 languages, since the Jews wrote it on these huge boulders in 70 languages. So Greek was one of those languages. So why would you say that that was the difficulty? And now the Rebbe says, and if you're talking about Greek, specifically Greek, there's reason to believe that it's less problematic than any other language. Why? Base. 
from the oblique way that the Gemara speaks about this, that the Torah could not be properly translated without a lot of details, mashma, First of all, you can't say that the difficulty is specifically with Greek, with the Greek language, because the way the Gemara speaks about it, leaving it so amorphous, opens it up to postulate, to, 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 to theorize that it's more than just Greek, that it applies to all languages, that the Torah would be difficult to translate in any and all languages. Gimel, the other other, and on the contrary, Matsinu b'makam acher. We find in another place, Shalalashan Yivan is dafka yesh myla be'inyazeh al pnei shar halashaynes. That Greek, the language, the, the Greek language, is in its own category. Shaharei ladas Reb Shimon ben Gamliel v'chein hula halacha because Reb Shimon ben Gamliel sets forth the following teaching, and this is what is accepted that Reb Shimon ben Gamliel taught that it is prohibited from translating the Torah into any other language except for Greek. And Dalit, and in Yerushalmi, we're taught, Batku umatsu she'ein hatari yichelulihi targim kol tzarcha ela yivonis. We researched this, and we found that the Torah cannot be adequately translated in any other language but Greek. So we're back to where we started, which is what was the terrible thing why was it so bad? Why was it so distressful that it should be compared to the day that the ego was, was crafted? The And the most important thing we have to understand, we're bewildered by. And what we really need to understand is in which way is there a correlation between the translation into another language and the construction of the Egel? Because the Brisa in Suffering doesn't say it was distressful. It was very distressful. It was tragic. It says it was as distressful as or as difficult as the day that the Egel was constructed. How can you say that, even if you want to say that it's impossible to translate the Torah adequately? Let's say that that, 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 that is what you want to say. But how can you compare that to the day that the ego was crafted. How can it be that distressful, that tragic, that negative? Okay. That is Si'if Aleph, base. Haloshan Hanal, Kiyoim Shanasa Egel, Matsinugabe Mesechet Shabbos. Now, this particular term that something is as distressful or as difficult 
as the construction of the Egel, as the day on which the of the Egel was constructed, we find this same term used in a different place in the Gemara in Shabbos. And there the Gemara says, on that day, that Hillel sat before Shammai completely subservient as if he were one of his students. And this event that Hillel sat in subservient fashion and abnegated himself before Shammai was as difficult for B'nai Yisrael as the day that the Egel was constructed. And here again, we need to understand what was so difficult, what was so distressing about Hillel sitting in such servient fashion before Shammai that again, it should be paralleled and compared to the day that the Egel was constructed. And Rashi there uh, comments, Kasha, it was difficult. It was difficult because Hillel was both the Nasi, he was the leader, and he was exceedingly humble. The And so Rashi's comment is, is really difficult to understand. Seemingly, the Rebbe says, we would understand the first part of Rashi. The Rashi is saying what was so kasha, what was so difficult, what was so distressful for the Jews, that Hillel, who was the Nasi, he was the undisputed leader of the Jewish people, should sit before Shammai subservient as one of his students. Okay, we understand. But the second thing that Rashi says that he was an unav, that he was exceedingly humble, that should not be an explanation for why this is so distressful. It only explains why Hillel was able to put himself in such a position. Because he was so humble, he was able to sit before Shammai in subservient fashion, even though he was the leader, he sat like one of the students. Rashi. So as we know, there are super commentaries on Rashi's commentary. So there are super commentaries that explain. That um, because they kind of kicked Hillel and he was a Nasi and he was humble. And with this, you might understand the corollary, the comparison to the day that the Ega was constructed. Because on that day, something similar occurred. 
Because then, too, the Jews metaphorically kind of kicked, um, disrespected Moshe, and they said, who was, who was their leader and an Anav as well, and they said, let us make a God to lead us. But seemingly, even after we have this explanation, it's still not enough. But the Rebbe says, it's not adding up. It's not enough to say, here they metaphorically kicked Moshe, and here metaphorically Hillel was kind of disrespected and tossed around. Because you can't compare. You can't compare what happened in terms of its seriousness on the day that the Egel was constructed and the day that Hillel sat before Shammai. I mean, yes, one is a disrespect, but one is Avaitazarach Manatslan. So how can you how can you make this comparison? Gimel. The Rebbe says, we might say, this is the explanation, but as the Rebbe usually does, he prefaces with teaching us additional information necessary to circle back and answer these questions. And we will preface with we're going to come ultimately to understand this by first prefacing with a focused study on the terminology that is used in both places. Like the day that the Egel was constructed. It doesn't say it was as difficult or as tragic or as distressing for the Jews as the construction of the Egel. It doesn't say it was as distressing like the sin of the Egel. It says it was as distressing as the day on which the Egel was constructed. Now, simply speaking, the day on which the Jews would have, and in fact, some of them did serve the Egel, was the day after its manufacture. Like it says, the Chasov in the Torah, on the day that the Egel was manufactured, after it was completed, Aaron said to the Jews, Chag there will be a holiday to God tomorrow. And with this, the Mepharshim explained, Rashi brings down that Aaron did not mean to egg them on, but rather to push them off, push the can down the road, tell them tomorrow we'll make this big celebration. And he did this because he was sure that Moshe Rabbeinu would appear 
And after Mesha comes back, the Jews will completely let go of this ill-conceived idea and they will serve Hashem. And indeed, the main aspect of the chet, the serving of the idol, was the next day. They got up early in the morning the next day and they offered uh, sacrifices. So now once we know that, we go back to the words that the translation of the Torah or the day that Hillel sat before Shammai in subservient fashion was as difficult as the day that the Ega was constructed. So with this new information, what would this mean? That the real difficulty, the distress, the, the tragedy was not so much its construction. Because even after they constructed the Egel, it could have all still ended well. And later the Rebbe will say it could have even ended in better than before. Could have ended well. It could have been, in fact, that there would be a festival for Hashem, Yisbarach, the next day just like Aaron had hoped that they would serve Hashem. So what was the tragedy? That it was the day that they made the Egel. It was a day in which they were engaged and concentrated on the Egel, not with Hashem. So it is a day of preparation for the sin of serving the Egel, which would only occur the next day. Now the Rebbe is going to explain how this relates to the translation of the Torah. See if Dalit. Now we're going to come back to what we started with, that Talmai commissioned five Jewish sages to translate the Torah into Greek. So now we want to understand what exactly was the problem. So it says that the problem, the reason why this is considered difficult, distressing, tragic, is because the Torah cannot be translated properly. In consummate fashion. What does that mean? It cannot be translated word for word in punctilious fashion. And the real tricky aspect of this is that when you translate it, in order to preserve the integrity of the intent of the psukim, you can't translate it in the order of the words as they appear in Hebrew. Because if you're going to do it word for word, literally, you're not going to be translating the Torah properly. And so what was difficult about this is 
just like what was difficult about the day of constructing the Egel was that it gave rise to the possibility of a sin that would only occur the next day. Here too, the tragic and difficult element of this is that it provides potential for mistake, for tragedy to ensue, to unfold later. If the Torah is not going to be translated properly. Kasher Goy, for instance, Talmei HaMelech, when a Gentile, for instance, Talmei, Yilamid La'achar Mikenes HaTorah B'Lashon Yavon, Kefishahi Mitorgemes Bidyo Kol Tzorcha, if, if, if a Gentile is going to learn the Torah, that was translated into Greek. And it was translated perfectly. It's exceedingly possible that he will, he will not be able to understand what the intent of the Torah is. He will learn it in erroneous fashion. Not only will there be mistakes in how he learns it, but it will actually be opposite of what the term means. And therefore we find, for this very reason we find, and this is the very famous event that most of us are familiar with, that when 72 sages were commissioned to translate the Torah could have been for another Talmai, just like Pharaohs or many, just like Caesars, could be many, many Talmais. There's, there's a lot of discussion about this. But in any case, when 72 sages were commissioned to translate the Torah, Nasana and you remember the story that they were put into different cubicles. And this was before Twitter, uh, you know, so, so they couldn't conference with each other. And this was considered a tremendous miracle that Hashem gave them all the same idea that in 13 and there are other places say 18, but there were there's a certain number of instances where they all translated exactly the same way. And it was not the literal translation of the Torah. Here means literally. And what was the miracle was they did not translate it literally because that would have led to tragic consequences. <coughs> For instance, to translate that literally would have given rise to the possibility of thinking that there is a force called voracious that created. Elikim, and so on and so forth. V'zehu teichen hashva anal b'mesecha sefer v'haya yem kasha l'Yisrael ki yem shenasa b'ya egel. And now we're in a better position to understand the comparison that is being drawn. K'shem she yem shenasa b'ya egel haya kasha machmas hayesa hachan alazeh shele macharasa hiskaima kitaitza mikach ha'avoydele egel. Just like the day that the uh, the Egel was constructed, was kasha, was difficult, was tragic, was distressing, because it was a preparation for what would happen the next day, which is the serving of it. <speaking in Hebrew> 
in the same way, the day that the sages translated into Greek was a difficult, distressing, tragic day for the Jews. Because it gave rise to the possibility, to the potential of the Torah being misunderstood and, and not even only misunderstood, but also understood totally opposite of the way that it should be understood. So in other words, it's one thing where you make some mistakes and it's another way you come away with the complete opposite of what the intention is. Hey, and now the Rebbe comes back to explain how this is similar in the third instance where it says kasha, that it was as dif difficult. I'm sorry, the second instance uh, where something is compared to the difficulty of the day that the that the eagle was constructed. And that was the day that Hillel sat before Shammai completely subservient as a student. The fact that this indicates Hillel sitting before Shammai in subservient fashion indicates that on that day, the Chachamim accepted Shammai's way of understanding um, in 18 different halachas and not Hillel. The Rebbe says that in itself is not so kasha. It's not so tragic. It's not so distressful. Because at the end of the day, we see that Hillel, um, he, he ceded to Shammai. And he did not contest what Shammai taught. This means that Hillel agreed that what Shammai taught is in consonance with halacha. So, so, so that's not kasha. So what happened that day was not the distressing part. But what happened that day opened up the possibility that in future times, the halacha should be adjudicated, the psak should go according to Shammai, which is which is the opposite of what was established for all generations. That wherever Hillel ruled something, what Shammai ruled and what Beis Shammai ruled, what his, what his students rule, is, is, not, is not recorded. It's not halacha. And now we might have a better understanding of Rashi's cryptic comment that what was difficult was that Hillel was the Nasi and Hillel was a humble person. Because by saying this, Rashi is explaining for us, what is difficult? The establishment of halacha at this time, right? We know that when Mashiach comes, it's going to be base Shammai. But until Mashiach comes, 
in the main, it's all based Hillel. And the establishment of Allah in the paradigm of Hillel and his students, he it's for two reasons. Nasi van Vasan. It's because he was the leader and it's because he was humble. Ba'if and Klali. More generally. Moira ha-halacha hu ha-nasi. Sh'halacha kemaisai afilu l'gabe of Beistin. Generally speaking, the one who teaches halacha is the nasi. And the halacha goes according to his opinion. Even when there is a difference of opinion with the of based in, with the head of the based in. But in this case, Rashi's telling us what was difficult is that on that particular day, halacha was established in the opposite fashion. It was established in consonance with Shammai's ruling, and Shammai was of based in. But generally, the rule is that it goes according to the Nasi and not the Av Basin. What else was difficult? The Chain and Vasan. And the other thing that was difficult was his humility. Kedivri HaGemara. Lagabe Beis Shammai, Beis Hillel, Bechlal, Asher Mepnei Mazochu Beis Hillel, Lekvoye Halacha Kemoisam. The Gemara makes a general comment asking, why was Beis Hillel why did they merit that the halacha should be established in their paradigm? Literally, this means because they would not answer back when they were insulted. Meaning, they 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 were they were humble. They accepted what came their way with equanimity. So Rashi's explaining what was so difficult about that day, that it was a paradigm shift. It was not just a paradigm shift, it was an inversion of what normally would occur on two counts. Number one, because normally the Nasi has the final word, not the of based in. And second, the Gemara has already told us that the reason why Beis Hillel was to have halacha be established in their in their opinion and their in their the way they think was because of their anivos. And here the opposite is happening. Who's establishing the halacha? Shammai. Now, the Rebbe is now going to take us deeper into all of this. And once we know, right, we have this axiomatic rule that everything in Torah is, is exact. So move on, it's understood. So says, okay, we understand. All these three things, the construction of the ego, the translation of the Torah, and Hillel sitting subservient before Shammai are all three things that are difficult and tragic because some mistake or some misstep could potentially occur as a result of what happened on that day. We got it. But the Rebbe says, but Torah is not like that. 
there's much more going on here because everything is exact. It's not just that these are three instances in which there is a potential that has now opened up in which something negative can occur. But to understand what was truly kasha about these other two events, the translation of the Torah by the sages for Talmai and Hillel sitting before Shammai in subservient fashion, we have to understand the content, the teichen of the construction of the Egel. What was going on there? What was really the sin? What was really the thought process? What's going on there? And the explanation of Cheta Egel. Rebbe says it's well known. Many of the Mefarshim have written and explained in elongated fashion that in constructing the, the Egel, B'nai Yisrael were not, God forbid, looking to serve Rebbe Zara. What were they looking for? El-Arak Manik they were not looking to replace Hashem They were looking for an intermediary. They were looking for a leader. The Rebbe says, and this is very clear in the words of the Pasuk. They said, this man that led us out of Egypt, he's disappeared. We don't know where he is. We need something in his stead. Kaloimar, this is to say, what they craved, what they were seeking was some kind of intermediary that would negotiate, that would stand between them and Hashem. And their desire for this is ultimately based on the model that Hashem himself had set forth. Not Hashem himself brought us out of Egypt, but Hashem sent a deputy, Hashem sent a messenger, Hashem sent a leader, Moshe. Moshe was this, this intermediary between them and Hashem. Now, Rebbe explains now. In order for Jew, as we are down here below in this physical temporal existence, in order for a Jew to serve Hashem properly with all of our energies and all of our aspects, including our cognitive and our emotive aspects. So in order for this to happen, godliness has to be drawn down, as it were, into this lower sphere. Until it's possible for us to know that there is a God. <coughs> Now the Rebbe parses this and explains, 
to know, which is we have an obligation to believe that there is a God. But on top of that, God wants us to understand, to know that there is a God. To believe that there is a God relates to the aspect of Hashem that is transcendent. It, 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 it relates to Atmos itself, which cannot be understood, which cannot be grasped, which cannot be analyzed, which cannot be broken down. That's transcendent. And for that, we have a chiyuv, we have an obligation to believe. But in addition, we have an obligation to know, to understand cognitively. And in this modality of knowledge, we're talking about godliness being revealed to a person that is found in this lower realm, a neshama vested in a body that is united in a wondrous unity and exhibit A, in other words, the, the most spectacular example of a person in this temporal world being united with Hashem in an awesome and wondrous unity is Moshe, who is called a godly man, a man who could see Hashem and who could hear Hashem. And therefore, those that constructed the Egel believed, they thought, they opined. This is a very interesting thing. The Rebbe is explaining that those that constructed the Egel thought that since Moshe was the intermediary and he was a ish elikim, he was a physical person, and yet he was suffused with godliness and brought godliness down, they thought that they're going to do Moshe 2.0. They're going to create even a, a bigger Indian. They're going to take something even more physical, Okay. So Medaber is higher than Chai, and Chai is, is higher than Sameach, and Sameach is higher than Daimon. So they're going to take something Daimon. They're going to take something inanimate. They're going to take from the lowest strata, and they're going to create from this lowest strata a conduit for godliness. And that's going to be a, an even more spectacular way of bringing Elokus down into this world. And through this, there's going to be an even greater effect of godliness on the world. And they had a model. Hashem himself told them that they should take gold and they should take silver and they should create a, a mishkan. And Hashem said, I'll rest in it. So that was their thought process. Mikdash. One second, one second. Wasn't that after the chait? 
so it's a good question. And, and there's a whole shock of Atariah, if it was after the Chait, if it was before, a muktamam ochar l'tayra, et cetera, et cetera. One thing is for sure, the Mishkan was ultimately the kapara on the Chait. Um, not complete kapara, was, but it was, a, it was a ratification of Hashem saying, I'm, I'm not only not going to destroy you, I'm going to rest among you. But they already had the command about it before, at least according to many, many misfortunes. And what's the Mishkan? Mikdash Ikari, who are in The main aspect of the Mikdash, of the Mishkan, is the Arain and the two Kruvim, the cherubs. Asher Ali Deze, Haisa Hashras, Hashkina Beisrael, Vidibarti Itcha Meala Kaparis, Bibeshnea Kruvim, Asher Al Arena Edus. Hashem says, I'm going to speak to you from upon the Kaparis, from between the two cherubs that are on top of the Arain. Beishleimar. And we might say that this is the explanation. This is the more, um, the inner explanation. The Hasidus gives us um, a deeper way of understanding what the Medrash says. The Medrash teaches that how did this, how did this whole sin come about? That during Matan when the Torah tells us that Hashem descended upon Mount Sinai, B'nai Yisrael saw Hashem descend in a chariot, and they detached, they separated from, from that vision one of the um, aspects of the Merkava, and that was Pnei Hashar, we're taught that there were four different images and they plucked the image of the shore of the calf, the ox. What they hoped to accomplish was to create down here below in this physical realm a parallel for what existed above in the Merkava. And even after they constructed the eagle, before they, they, they served it, tomorrow will be a festival for Hashem. Meaning, he was still believing and hoping that from their ill-advised and ill-conceived construction of the eagle will still come some exalted positivity. Moshe will come and he will reveal for B'nai Yisrael how this was totally ill-contrived. And in fact, I'll be Pashto, simply speaking, if not for the Satan waking them up very early in order that they should sin, they would not have come to sin. On the contrary, Moshe would have burnt the Egel in full view of all of B'nai Yisrael, and they would have all agreed. And so it's clear that from the beginning, this was not about 
Avodah Zarah. They wouldn't have served the Egel. And, and, and I just want to add that although some did serve the Egel, but the Mepharshim all point to this, that if they really had believed that the Egel was some kind of God, they would not have allowed Moshe to burn it, <coughs> which he did in order to mix it with the water and administer this as a way of understanding who deserved to die and who didn't. They would have overpowered him. There were so many more people than he was. So the very fact that even after uh, a small cohort served by Dezerah, still Bnei Yisrael did not believe that the golden calf was actually a god. To wit, they allowed him to burn, to grind it up, etc. Va'azai. And so if that would have happened, then Moshe would have come back before the Satan got them all riled up and would have burnt it. Not only would there not have been something bad, but then, this whole event would have broadcasted the unity of Hashem even more than ever. And it would have been revealed that there is nothing but Hashem. And what would have been understood, what would have been revealed, what would have been broadcast is that the only one that can serve as an intermediary is Moshe. And why can Moshe serve as an intermediary that connects them? Because he was sent by Hashem. Only for that reason. Because he was handpicked and he was sent to be Hashem Shliach Yisrael. That, that could have happened. And it would have been an amazing thing. But unfortunately, what happened, practically speaking, was that uh, a, a certain amount of the Jews did engage in Cheta Egel the next day. Zion. And now we're circling back to um Orit, I, I see your question. I don't know when you when you posted it, but uh, we're going to we're going to come to answer the rep is going to answer your question. The question for those of you who are not looking at the chat is that the halacha is we can't translate into any language but Greek. Why do we have English translation of Torah? Okay. Um so the Rebbe says, now we're going to circle back to why is the exact terminology that it was as difficult as the day that the Egel was constructed, and the Gemara doesn't say that translating it into Greek was as bad as when they served the Egel. It says it was as bad, it was as distressful as the day that they constructed the Egel. Rebbe explains, because what happened on the day that they constructed the Egel? They opened up the possibility for, for plurality. They opened up the possibility for shtei that 
that there are two, <clears throat> um, there, 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 if somebody could help me here, there, there, there are two places. There are two, there, there's not just one Rishus Hayachit. There's not just one thing that, that belongs to one owner. No, there's different Rishus. There are different, sorry? Again? Two domains. Two domains, exactly. Thank you, thank you so much. Because, because it was not done by the command of Hashem, in contradistinction to creating the Kruvim and the other aspects, that were also physical aspects, but that was done through the Tzivir Hashem. But this that they made the Egel was not through the Tzivir Hashem, so they opened up the possibility for two domains, for color war, for two teams. Ukinau. And as explained above, This now explains the deeper intention of what the Medrash says, that they separated or detached the, the, uh, the image of the ox that was on the Merkava. This is to say, When that image of the ox is above on the Merkav of Hashem. It's, it's part and parcel of Elokos. It's a godly thing that serves to reveal godliness. But when you detach it, it becomes separate. And it comes down here below. And it is no longer part and parcel of Hashem's chariot. Then you don't feel the way in which the chariot is subservient and abnegated to he who rides the chariot. And what can ensue from this is a sin, specifically the sin of Avedazara. And now we can understand that it's the same idea pursuing to the translation of the Torah to Greek for Talmai. And that that day was as distressing for the Jews as the day that the Egel was constructed. So both Moshe um, translating into 70 languages and then his commandment that the Jews do so and that they have it uh, written on, on, on those huge rocks in 70 languages. Because they came in their source with the Torah, in the Torah, on the specific command of Hashem. So there was no room for this to lead to something negative that is contrary to Hashem's desire. Because 
in every one of those 70 languages was felt. It was suffused and pervaded with the holiness of the Torah, the way in which Hashem gave us the Torah in Lashon HaKadosh. That holiness permeated all those 70 languages in every translation. But in contradistinction, when the Jewish sages did this at the behest of Talmai, and it was not the command of Hashem, then there was the, the definite potential for something negative to ensue. For instance, instead of the words being translated in a way that points to the unity of Hashem, which is the truth, it would, God forbid, be translated as there being two domains, with the first having created the second. This force, Bereshis, having created Elohim. And this is the same with a number of other places in the Torah where the translation had to be adjusted from the original. And in the main, all of those... Um, changes, all of those accommodations were made because if it would have been a literal translation, it would have given rise, God forbid, to ideas that are opposite Hashem's unity. Basically, heresy. Tess. So here we're getting into some really... Um, subtle, abstruse, really, really gorgeous ideas. So just like it was on the day that the Egel was constructed, and in more subtle fashion to what happened on the day that the Torah was translated into Greek, so the same idea exists even more subtly, even in, in even more transcendent fashion when it comes to what happened between Shammai and Hillel. Yadua, the Rebbe says it's well known. Shashamai ube Shammai, Sharshay mimidas hagvura, din. That the antecedents, that the root of Shammai's soul and his students comes from the side of givura, severity, din, judgment, the Hillel. And on the other hand, Hillel obeys Hillel and his students, they are sourced in the mida of kindness, mercy, and therefore, in the main, and therefore, in the main, Shammai is tilted or skewed towards severity, towards a more strict interpretation, Chumrah, whereas Beis Hillel 
is skewed in the direction of Kula, um, a, a more lenient interpretation. So now, this is this is so spectacular. The difference between din and chesed and rachamim, who bedugmas divrei hamedrash, can be explained, for example, by looking at a very well-known medrash. By this chesed be'emes, the medrash says that there was a um, a machlekes. There was a there was a um, an argument between chesed and emes. Chesed amar yivra. The Emes Amar Al Yiva. Kindness said the world should be created, man should be created, but truth said, ah, uh ah, -uh. <laughs> don't do it. You're just going to get into a lot of messiness and muck. Yeah, don't, don't go there. Kalaymar. Mitzad Midas Hadin, ain't kol mokalim From the perspective of Din, of, of Emes, of strict judgment, of objective truth, there is no place for the world. But in contradistinction, when you're looking at it through the prism of Rachamim. And so after the world was created, what devolved from this argument, that from the perspective of din, what's underscored is constantly the abnegation and the breaking of the world. It's bad. It's sinful. Don't go there. Build a, a higher wall around your getter, ghetto. Live more cloistered lives. Don't get on the computer. And so on and so forth. That's mitzad din. Ve'ilo inyana shal midas ha-chesed barachamim hu adra b'laham shechel kus But from the perspective of chesed and rachamim, it's the opposite. The whole idea is to bring elokus down into this world. Not to gingerly avoid the world because it's so bad. So you have to constantly seek ways to break it and bash it. No. Now, the Rebbe is not going into this here, but I, I, I'm, again, doing what I shouldn't do. just want to say two words that, that the Rebbe is, you know, like kind of flirting with this. But in other sikhs, the Rebbe, the, one of the big chidushim of the Rebbe is that everything in this world is holy. It was all created for the covet of Hashem. So the default has to be that it's good. I, something can be perverted. It can be used for a less than stellar reason. That's, that's, that's the problem. But, but the, the modality itself is not the problem. Like, look at us, okay? We are all learning via Zoom. So obviously, we either were not at the Asifa uh, that told us to throw out all of our gadgets and our devices or we just didn't listen properly or maybe we're coming from the totally opposite direction which is all of technology was created for holy purposes the fact that it could be abused that it could be perverted 
that's problematic. But you have to understand the technology itself is holy. So the antecedents of this posture are already seen here where the Rebbe says that it's not about breaking the world and bashing the world and trying to skirt all this negativity. And no, it's to bring Elokuz down. And we'll understand from this an even deeper distinction between Gvura and Chesed. Mitzad, so this is, this is like, hold on to your seat. This is so gorgeous. Mitzad, Midas Hadin, Morgasha'elam, who Mitzias Nifredes, Bahargashasam, Elokus. Those people that spend their whole life fighting the world. The truth of the matter is that that kind of posture is broadcasting the feeling that the world is separate from godliness. And that's why it's enemy number one. So you have to break it. But when you're coming from the point of departure of chesed, which is all about bringing elokuz down into this world, it brings you to understand and to feel the polar opposite. It brings you to understand that there's no daylight between Hashem and the world. The opposite, it's all one. And that's why you want to work and you want to effectuate within this world the complete revelation of Elokos. And if so, so when both of these possibilities exist, to be more strict or to be more lenient. And Bishamai always is skewed towards being more strict. To separate oneself from the world. And Bishillel is skewed towards leniency, meaning to um to um to 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 um I'm losing my word here. Um the way in which we take the physical aspects of the world and we re to refine it, to refine our part of this world. So that's the tnua, that's the modality of Hilla. Now the Rebbe says, Haribidakus didakos. So in a very, very, very subtle way, Nimza, Shemitzad Midas Hadin Alula Lihishtalshel, Bishtalshalos, Mimadregal Madreya Tua, Shall stay Rishuyes. So now you understand why such a big uproar about Hillel abnegating himself before Shammai. Because in some very, 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 very subtle way, this has to be understood properly. But in some very, very, very subtle way, 
if you go with the Tanua of Shammai, there's the possibility to lurch in the direction of there being two domains as opposed to only one domain. Kav as it were. And if there's two domains, then it's color war. Then you, then you have to mount a campaign against the other side. Because this would mean, God forbid, that there isn't that complete unity with godliness. I, I want to make sure to disabuse us all of thinking for one half second that the Rebbe is saying, Chalila, Chalila, that Shammai believed that there are two Rishoyes. No. He's saying that on some very subtle level, on some very profound level, if you understand that 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 stance, that posture, you could see where it could, in some very subtle way, give rise to the possibility of thinking that there are two rishoyes. Rifki. Yeah. I'm struggling with maybe that ever speaks about like, but the concept of chesed and emes. Okay. The, the problem comes in emes, not in chesed. Right. But emes is truth. Truth has to be able to stand on its feet from top to bottom, right and left, north and south, any which way you do it. And you're saying in the emes we have a problem, not in the chesed, where chesed can cause trouble. Chesed can cause a lot of trouble. But truth, emes should cause trouble. So it's just, I'm having a difficulty with this that it's coming through emes and not through chesed. You understand my question? I think so. If you look in that medrash, you'll see that the Abishter, what did the Abish have to do to create the world? He had to throw emes on the floor, cast it on the floor, break it as it were, in order for the world to be created. Or like we learn a different iteration of this, that first the Abishter wanted to create the world with din. And then the Abishter saw that the world would not be able to exist. So Hashem had to create the world through Rachamim. In other words, everything you say Rachamim about Emes is sense true. To be Emes. Every, everything that you say is true about, about Emes. And that's why when Mashiach comes, we're going to go according to Beishamai. But the world, the way that Abishter wanted it to unfurl, a world in which we are the major players, not uh, spectators, would not, a world of din, a world of strict emes, would not be able to accommodate what Hashem wanted should happen here. It's not the shot that there's something wrong with emes. No, 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 that I understand. We're, we're, not, we're, not, we're not in that place where, where we could operate on such a plane. I don't know, it would make sense to say emes is rachamim, not emes is gvorah. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying no, that. No, 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 no. You know the old joke about when a wife asks her husband they're going to a party, honey, what do I look like? There's only one answer, beautiful, even if she looks hideous. So truth has a, you know, is a double-edged sword. And that's why mutar l'shana is b'pnei That's why you're allowed to change truth for peace. That's why the answer is, honey, you look beautiful. Rifki? Yeah. I don't know if it's taking it off into a completely different direction over here, but 
everything that you're saying makes me think of the Pesach until um, Chesve Emes, um, oh, what, Nashako? Yeah. You know, that they that they met, that Chesed is Meshur Benu, is, is Aaron, and Emes is Meshur Benu. And the Sikha that we learned back um, when, when Mesha was very, very upset that um, Aaron did not eat the carbon of Rishchedesh, and he explained why, and Mesha accepted it. Like, and that was that, that this conflict, in a way, of um, Emes, and, um, Emes and, and Chesed, and that, that Mesha is like, that his, not just that he accepted, it was kind of like that, that this was the kavana, that, that Emes should sort of accommodate that Aaron was right and that he saw it. And that's, it's in Teira like that. Yeah, thank you. Pure, for pure um, Emes, Aaron said, no way. And, and, and that's how it is in Teira. Mesha accepted, obviously the Ebeshter was was happy with it. Yeah, and there's, there's so many iterations of this. The, the famous story of the Tanur Achnai, right? So the whole that whole machlek is about, you know, if, if the oven can contract tuma or it's not makabal tuma and so on and so forth. Reb explains that also flows from Hillel and Shammai. It flows from Emes as, as opposed to, to Chesed, to Sholem. In other words, when Mashiach comes, we're going to be able to operate on that plane of Emes. But now we're just not there. And there were certain people in history who <clears throat> embodied that. Um, but you could say they were ahead of their times, perhaps. But is the reason that we'll be able to operate like that when Mashiach comes because the possibility for there to be duality will be removed. It will be so obvious that there's no possibility of there being two things that could separate because Hashem will be like all pervasive. Exactly. Exactly. Bidyuk. Uh, so let's see, where are we? Are, are, were we already in Sif Yud or just, I think we're the paragraph right before, yeah? The paragraph right before Yud. Thank you, Nechami. V'zui ha'ashva o'isai ha'yoyim ha'yahal hillel kofu v'yoyshev l'fnei shamay ka'achad ha'talmidim v'hayakashal Yisrael k'yem shenasam v'egel. So now with this, with this deeper and, and profoundly subtle um, comparison we're 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 in a we're in a position to understand how you could even compare these two events. I mean that 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 Hillel sat subservient before Shama. You want to compare that to, to the day that the eagle was constructed. Because what happened that day was that there were halachas that were established in the modality of Shammai, which meant that the Midah of Din overwhelmed Midah of Chesed and Rachamim. And as the Rebbe explained, Noilat Hachshash. So there was born the possibility, Sha'ayidezeh, Tikova Hanhagav Halacha Ba'if and Zegam Lahaba, 
that the halacha would similarly be established in future times in this in this model. And in a very subtle way, when this devolves through the different levels, it could give rise to the possibility of two domains. And again, the Rebbe underscores it's bedakos dedakos. We're not, we're saying in a very subtle way, there's even the conceptual abstruse possibility, which gives rise to the necessity to do battle with it. Yud. Now here, the Sikha turns from showing us the Maila of this possibility. Okay, so till now we've been talking about the danger of the possibility. Now the Sikha turns and tells us the Maila of this possibility. Ulam, however, the Rebbe says, the fact that we are making these parallels is only in that in these two events, both the translation of the Torah into Greek and Hillel sitting in subservient fashion before Shammai were difficult, like the day that the Ega was constructed, because of the possibility that from this will ensue, even in some subtle form, something that opposes Akhtos Hashem. Aval but what happened, practically speaking, loy nigram kol in in hafri, but practically speaking, history shows that no negative uh, negativity ensued from these two days. And so, from in this respect, it is very different from the day that the egel was created. So, the egel having been created actually resulted in a very tragic event that happened the next day. But here, the parallel breaks down because there was no negativity that came either from Hillel sitting in subservient fashion before Shammai, nor from the translation by the sages of the Torah into Greek. We could say even more. Just like on the day that the ego was created, Aaron didn't go into deep mourning. He said, tomorrow it'll be a festival to Hashem. What did he intend to say with saying tomorrow there'll be a festival to Hashem? That if this opportunity, if this event is used properly, it will give rise to a chag. It will be reason to celebrate. And B'nai Yisrael will serve Hashem, and they'll serve Hashem in an even a deeper and accelerated fashion. And in fact, that is what happened when the Torah was translated to Greek. When the Torah was translated to Greek, 
when the 72 sages translated the Torah for Talmud, they did not translate it literally. In fact, they made certain changes. Starting with the fact that they changed it to read that God created the beginning. In the beginning, Hashem created. Not only was it that the idea of Hashem's unity flowed downward to all the Gentiles, to all the other nations, but there was more that came from this. That that what was what was said in halacha shahalashen hayechida shabamutar lichta vesifre hakodesh sefer torah he yevonis the sefer zeh kosher likros boy umitames yadayim bechule that that the only language not only was it not problematic but the only language that you could write a sefer torah in they could translate it in is Greek and not only that. But the Rebbe brings down, and there's a lot of footnotes here, and there's a lot of qualifications, and so uh, this, we're not learning this lahalacha, and we're definitely not doing this properly and completely. But he brings down that such a sefer Torah would be kosher to read from if you didn't have one aloshna kodesh, and it would even be mitami v'yadayim. This this refers to certain edicts that the chachamim put into place that people shouldn't just use a sefer Torah casually. So actually, if you touched a Sefer Torah, your hands would become tummy. You'd have to go to the mikvah. This would remind you not to be cavalier about this and so on and so on. Meaning, <clears throat> what happened through this event? Shlemus habirur That what ensued was that this, <clears throat> that this Greek language that had been in the domain of not holy was was um I'm losing the word again. Rachel, you knew it before. Remind me now. Biror. It it was it was um refined. refined. Huh? Yeah. It the, the 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 language was refined and 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 elevated and transformed into holiness. And we might say the same thing is true regarding what happened that day when Hillel sat subservient before Shammai like one of his students. Not only did this not lead to this becoming the model for the future that halacha would be um, established like Beishamai, but when Hillel sat before Shammai on that one day, it actually caused on the part of Shammai abnegation to the posture of Hillel. And we might say that it's for this very reason that we find that there are certain instances where Shammai is biased towards leniency because of what Hillel did that day. Now the Rebbe says, The words of tzaddikim stand and, and, and exist 
eternally. Especially that which is recorded in the Torah, which is eternal. It's understood from this. So if Aaron Akayim said that for sure this has to happen, that it has to be a festival. I now we fast on Shavasar Batamos. And the Rizal wrote, what is the secret that is alluded to in the words of Aaron? That when Mashiach comes, it's going to be turned into a great, great yamtiv, and it, and it will be chag Hashem. What does machar mean? Machar can mean tomorrow. Machar can mean in the future. V'yeshleimar shabepnimi es hanyanim harezehu hachag haba al yedei tshuvasom shal bnei yisrael alchita egel. That on a deeper level, you could say that the festival has already come. It came through the tshuva that Bnei Yisrael did on Chet Egel. Asher Yisgalah la'asid lavoi. That will only be revealed completely. La'asid lavoi. Ba'achdas Hashem tumshach begilui gabim kaimen shal shloish klipas atmeis. And in that time, like you said, Chani, there'll be no more competition. There'll be no more color war. Because the achdas of Hashem will suffuse even the shloish klipas atmeis lagamrit. That the nitzaitzes that are so deeply mired in those klipas now <clears throat> will be extricated and they will rise to Kedusha. And this is the idea of like the pig becoming kosher then and this whole idea of the transformation. The Yishleimar, your base. The Rebbe says that we might say that this is the same Indian of translating the Torah into all 70 languages in these latest generations. And especially the wellsprings of Hasidus. As is well known, the great effort that my father-in-law, the Fritik Rebbe, put into this, that even Hasidus should be translated into 70 languages, meaning it should be in the public domain. In order, why did the Rebbe want this? Because he wanted that the Mayanais, the wellsprings of Hasidus, should reach to those who are not at this point capable of understanding it in the original language, not in Hebrew and not in Yiddish. And through translating into different languages, Nifal Habirur Shal Shivim Lashain is effectuated the refinement of all the languages, and not only when they are included with and they are adjacent to Lashon Akadish. 
by each language as it stands in and of itself. The davar zenifal biyeser says alidei havasam shalinyanim ayizberim hamukim baachdus Hashem shebetarius hachasidim hachasidus vahalbashasam beloshen kol am vaam. This is so incredibly gorgeous. The Rebbe says that when are you actually mevarer all the different languages? So yeah, if you translate you you know side by side with the Hebrew, that's one level. But when you take the language itself and you use it to explain the deepest ideas of Torah, then you not only refine, you not only mevara the language, you mevara the, the nations themselves of these languages. And I can't help but think about the Rebbe's insistence that the Tanya be printed in any and all locations, which at the time seemed like so, like, Himmeldick, like, like, like uh, why would you do this? Like, it just seemed like, like, what are you doing? You're taking, like, this printing mechanism and you're bringing it to this city and this city and this loch and this hole in the wall. But the Rebbe wanted to be mevarer, all places, all languages, all people, all modalities. And doing this hastens and brings closer the fulfillment of the promise, that Mr. Gentleman will come, this, this, this gentleman is Mashiach, and the words of the Navi Tzifania, and then, I will make it so that all languages will be able to call in one, all people will be able to call in one clear language. They will all call on to the one God and serve him shoulder to shoulder, united. And these days will turn into days of joy and happiness and holidays. And the end of the three weeks, because we're talking now about Shabbos, the, the breaking of the of the Luchas, but the end, Tishabav will become the greatest of all Yom Tevim. It should be speedily in our day with the coming of Mashiach. Amen. Keni Hiratzen.